When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, and can I just reference a gorgeous photograph that is on the back page of the Examiner today, and it's one of those photographs uh, with a real Christmas feel to it, and it's a tra- it's a traditional boatman by the name of Donald Ducks O'Donoghue, and he's bringing a bit of uh, festive cheer on Lock Lane in Ross Castle in uh, Killarney. His boat has, is now moored up for the winter, and rather just leave it on the lock uh, moored up. He has erected a Christmas tree on the front of the boat and the lights switch on every evening at about 4pm and, and I, I'm assuming stay on until the small hours of the, mo- the morning and it just brings a, a little bit of seasonal cheer to the lake but it's just a stunning, stunning photograph by uh, Valerie uh, O'Sullivan and well done to Donald Ducks O'Donoghue for coming up with the idea. Now... Cork people very annoyed with the news yesterday from GAA Go and this has gone all the way to the top because I saw I see and I heard yesterday the Thornish that and Micheál Martin he described it as shocking the fact that three of Cork's hurling matches that's three out of four are going to be broadcast behind a paywall on GAA Go uh, next year and we had so many discussions on this programme about matches going behind the paywall this year via GAA Go. It looks like we're going to be having similar discussions again next year. Yesterday it was confirmed a total of 38 exclusive hurling and football championship games are going to be streamed by the pay-per-view uh, service of GAA Go and from our point of view three of Cork's four games in the Munster Hurling Championship are among that list of 38. Now yesterday the President of the GAA, Larry McCarthy, who is of course himself a Cork man, he defended the decision. He says the game's wouldn't be shown if GAA Go didn't step in. So he doesn't know what all the hullabaloo uh, is about. There has been a backlash to match has been shown exclusively on GAA Go rather than going with free to air on RTE and you remember um, Micheál Martin earlier uh, this year he already came out about what happened this year and he, he said at the time that he was unhappy what he described as a creeping pay walling for sports cover, coverage, coverage and he reacted yesterday then to the announcement particularly I think when three of the matches from his own uh, county were behind the paywall yesterday and that's where he came out and he said it's, it's absolutely shocking 
shocking. He said in general what he thinks in terms of games like that, as many people as possible should have access to these games. And the reason why he says is because if we believe in the game of hurling, we want as many people as possible to see those games and not everyone, he's accepted, will be able to see it behind a paywall. Went on to say hurling is our national game. It's unique to Ireland and it's something that we should be very much uh, promoting. And of course, GAA Go, it is a commercial company. Now, it's jointly owned. It's a 50-50 split between RTE and the GAA. And when it was first created back in 2014, I mean, a lot of people thought, what a great idea, because it was initially created so it would give live coverage for people who were overseas you know the Irish abroad wanted to see their matches and I do remember in 2014 being away on holidays in the south of France and we I signed up to GAA Go uh, because we wanted to watch a a hurling match and it was terrific to be away and you felt that you weren't missing out on uh, a particular match but then it was last year now what happened was the broadcasting deal between Sky Sports and the GAA that concluded and Sky Sports decided not to renew that contract. So GAA Go was then awarded the exclusive rights to cover championship matches. And this particular deal runs up to 2027. So next year, among the 38 exclusive games for the Cork Hurlers are the Munster Round Rabin ties. They're the matches against Waterford, Clare and uh, Limerick. Now, it was launched yesterday in Croke Park and the GAA president, as they say, a Corkman, Larry McCarthy, says RTE contractually picked games for those particular Sundays. And if we don't show them on GAA Go, then they won't be shown. He said people might be upset with the number of games in general, but they have to realise the facts. And I think he pointed the finger very much at RTE because he said, well, RTE picked the games, so we were left with the other ones and we wanted to show them. So we've put them on, we're going to put them on behind GAA Go. He also says, look, it's a new system it has to be given time uh, to uh, bed in. So we're, we're interested in, in your thoughts. Do we just have to move with the times? And is he right? If if RTE decided that those three Cork matches weren't wor- worthy of being shown on a Sunday afternoon, is it better that you get the opportunity, even if you do have to fork out and pay for it? Is it better that you're able to pay for it? Because at least you'll be able to see the match. Now, there has been a lot of uh, reaction. Alan Dillon, for example, he's the former Mayo footballer and uh, he is also now, of course, a, a Fine Gael TD for County Mayo. He described the GAA Go as a licence fee increase by the back door. Age Action have come out quite strongly. And in fairness, Age Action were very strong about it uh, this year as well. He says they say it's an invisible barrier for older hurlers and older uh, football supporters. And I know Donal Ogue uh, Cusack, he believes that the GAA is failing hurling by putting championship matches behind uh, a paywall. He says this does nothing for the promotion of hurling. He said one of the purposes of the GAA is surely to grow the game of hurling in its duty as it acted as a steward over the years. It's failed in that role. He says there's also question marks for RTE as a public service body. Surely one of their duties is to promote a cultural asset like uh, hurling. He says they are failing to do that with this deal. He also went on to say somebody in Croke Park and somebody in Montrose 
thought it was a good idea to make a small amount of profit next year or a perceived profit into the future on the back of hurling. And he says it does absolutely nothing for the game because ultimately, as they say, GAA Go is a split between RTE and the GAA. So that's where you're paying. You're paying RTE and uh, Croke Park in order to see the matches. Tony Logue says the government should come into this and take a serious look because he says he believes both institutions are not doing their duty in this uh, case and if you want to sign up for GAA Go it's going to cost you. Now the season pass is again €79, so they're not putting up the prices. They're maintaining the prices they were at last year. If you sign up before Christmas, you'll get a €10 discount, so you'll get it for €69. GAA members, I'm told, are also entitled to a 10% discount of the full season pass. And then there is a three-for-two bundle that's also uh, available. You get that for €24. And if it's just one match you want to watch, then when you sign up, it'll be €12 for each match. So I suppose for the three cork matches, if it's just the three cork matches that you're interested in, you can go for that bundle of three for two for €24. Euro. Your thoughts uh, welcomed. Is it the right thing to do? As the Larry McCarthy, the GA president, says, if we don't put it behind the paywall, then nobody gets to see it. Or would you be like with the likes of Donalogue uh, Cusick and saying that they're just out to make a profit on the back of, uh, of, of hurling and that more of these matches should be free to uh, air. Your thoughts welcomed with a reminder to you that we're giving away super value gift cards worth over €5,000 with C103's Christmas covered yesterday's winner and our first winner was Patricia McGill in Silver Springs. Congratulations to you Patricia who is deciding how she's going to spend her €500 super value gift uh, card. At some stage today I will be inviting you to text or WhatsApp in one lucky list will join me on air they'll answer a simple question about Christmas and by doing that then they'll go forward to the draw and the draw will be held with Martina on her programme after six o'clock so you need to be available when you text or WhatsApp us keep your phone on to get that call and then if you are today's qualifier uh, you need to stay, stand by the phone after six in case you get that call from uh, from Martina later on that's the C103's Christmas covered with Super Value gift cards they're perfect for every occasion they're available in store online for e-gift uh, cards and you can search Super Value gift cards only on C103. Now, a lot of reaction coming in on the GAA ago. And as Michal Martin described, the shocking news that three of Cork's hurling matches will be broadcast behind a paywall. Richard in Mitchestown, it doesn't matter anyway. Why? Why, we asked Richard? He says Cork won't win anything in the year ahead. So watching those matches can be torture. Oh, Richard. Dan in Carrick Tool says it is all so wrong. How come... Other counties don't have all of their games behind a paywall. I feel so sorry for older supporters who would have gone to all the matches over the years and when they weren't available would have watched it at home on television. They now must pay to watch these games and Dan says many will. Bill in Clonakilty says at the end of the day GAA is an amateur sport. It's not like rugby or soccer. There isn't huge revenue filtering down to the players. The GAA are the only ones benefiting and they're awash with money. 
Also, Bill wants to point out that over 40% of the country doesn't have decent broadband connections. Then you've got nursing homes, hospitals. Do They don't have the facility to stream all of these matches at once. Also, they're not going to pay commercial rates to show the games. He says it's a total disgrace. It's now up to grassroots GAA clubs to call it. Enough is enough. Uh, we need to say we're not going to organise any more matches. At the end of the day, it is the grassroots that built the GAA. Ted said many people gave over land locally to build GAA pitches over the years and now this is how they are being thanked. Jer in Ahada says hurling is the best game in the world. I think the president of the GAA, Larry McCarthy, should step down over his comments yesterday. He should be for the GAA and for the supporters. He should be all about promoting hurling and the GAA. It's time for the Thornish, the Micheál Martin, to give no more grants or no more money to the GAA if this is the way they're going to conduct their business into the future. Ger also is thinking about older people in hospitals and nursing homes unable to watch these uh, games and they are the very ones that gave their life to the GAA when money was tight. It is disgusting, says Ger. Ben in Middleton says the GAA know only too well Cork supporters are some of the most loyal GAA supporters in the country. They know that Cork people will pay. He also uses the word disgusting and he wants to point out, thank God for C103 uh, because you'll be able to access all of those matches free. You will indeed here on C103. And John says, why can't those matches be shown for free on GAA Go? If they can't show them on TV, as Larry McCarthy said yesterday, uh, then why not offer them for free? The older generation built the GAA and they are the ones now who are going to be particularly hit. When you're taxing cars, paying property tax, many do not have the money for this. So if the GAA and Larry McCarthy feel because RTE didn't want these matches and therefore if GAA go, don't show them, they won't be shown. If that be the case, show it for free. Good point. Yesterday during my chat with uh, Paddy O'Brien, the well-known advocate for older people here in uh, Cork, we were discussing uh, home helps and what home helps are allowed and not allowed to do. I mentioned that Cork and Kerry have by far the worst waiting lists for home helps from the HSE with new figures showing 1,648 people are awaiting the provision of the service here in Cork and Kerry. To discuss what are the problems and what needs to be done, I'm joined by Cork East Sinn Féin Dáil Deputy Pat Buckley. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks very much for having well, me. Well, you're welcome. And I've spoken to you before on this particular topic, but every time I seem to speak to you, the waiting lists are only getting longer. Isn't that the case? It is. I mean, if you go back to, uh, I think it was around March this year, the national figures roughly was around just over 6,000 people plus actually on a waiting list. And you're right with the 1,648 people in the Cork Kerry region. It is the highest in the country. And it basically, to be honest with you, Patricia, it's the working conditions and it's the pay is, is the biggest problem here. And I only had a recent conversation with my own daughter that wanted to go into it. But uh, even after sitting down and having a good chat with her, she has changed her career decision already. And I mean, I remember speaking in the Doyle Chamber even a number of weeks ago, and I quoted an article from the, I think it was the Irish Examiner, and it said that low wages, long hours, insecure work and, and insecure working conditions are pushing the larger female workforce, workforce out of the caring industry. It's as simple as that. People are saying there's nothing yeah. complex about the crisis. It's just the fact that it's agencies paying more than the HSC and the agencies have better uh, conditions for the healthcare workers. 
And that's that's what's wrong. It's it's pay parity and respect is where the problem is here. Yeah, because yesterday when we were having the discussion, I was contacted by some people who are working as as healthcare uh, assistants, as as they're now known, and the dedication of those they were all women um and and the and the compassion that they have for their clients and it, it's oh, almost it almost feels like some some of that compassion and empathy has been abused almost i think you've hit the nail on the head patricia my own mum was a home health carer for oh my god i can't even think how many years and you're right there is massive unbelievable empathy and respect and top color care and a lot of these healthcare workers right they actually do a lot more hours than they're actually being paid for yeah because it's so minuscule what they're offering people and i remember raising one on a topical issue a, a, a number of months ago and there was a poor individual in the 90s that couldn't get um, home help care at all they had actually granted the hours, but there was actually nobody there to take out, to carry out that work. Because it, you also have the problem between rural and, we'll say, city. You know, the sparsely, in a rural area, I suppose the carers could be travelling an awful lot more by car and whatever. And they're not getting covered for any of that either. It's just, it's not attractive. And the most, most worrying thing about it is we have an ageing population. Mm. This, this crisis is not going to get any better unless... They deliver proper care under proper contracts with proper directly, uh, I suppose, employed carers on a proper wage standard that is, you know, attractive. And you said a lot of these people go into this job for the love of it. They get attached to the people that they're looking after. And that's where it gets very, very difficult. You were then practically held to ransom, you know to not walk away from the individual or individuals that you're looking after. Yeah, well, one of the home helps was, you know, was talking yesterday because, you know, we were, we, the main reason we had Paddy O'Brien on was um, uh, Paddy's critical of the fact that they've changed the role of the home helps over the years and now the, the home help are only allowed to, you know, offer support for dressing and undressing and personal care, showering and getting people in and out of bed. But one of our home helps yesterday was making the point that one of her uh, clients, you know, she gets her up, she does everything that she needs to do. To do. She's not allowed to light the fire or make her breakfast but she said I'm not going to let her sit in a house that's cold so she said I light the fire for her and I do make her breakfast but she doesn't get paid yeah. to do that and she's not not telling anyone that she's doing it but and the very point she made was she said I, I would be thinking that if that was my mother I would hate to think that somebody would walk out get the person up put them in the chair and say right you're grand there now until somebody comes in tonight to put you back to bed so she said I make her the bit of breakfast and I light the fire for her but again it was just it came from such a place of compassion and seeing more than this is somebody you know this is my job seeing it was much more than a job seeing the humanity and seeing this human being behind this Oh absolutely absolutely and, and I, I would safely say that every carer that's out there goes well above and beyond and you're right I mean I mean, caring is not just about getting somebody out of bed or making a breakfast and lighting the fire but it's also sitting down and listening to people that might be the only you know, person that they meet on that day to actually talk. Mm-hmm. And it all goes back. We are a caring nation by our nature. But the HSC seem to try and, I suppose, click off in sections. You can only do A, B and C. They're trying to get the biggest bang for their buck instead of doing what we should be doing all along, is using your skills, using your empathy, your caring, to look after those most vulnerable people in the state. But they should also, those who look after them, should be rewarded for that. Yeah, 
and, 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 and common sense. See it, you, you know, know me, Patricia. You... Well, well, unfortunately, that's what's wrong. Common sense does not work within certain entities of this. And I know we're talking about HSE, and sometimes they're all labelled. I was in A&E last Sunday night, what, from 10 past 12 at night until Monday afternoon, half one. And I have to say, the, the professionalism of the doctors, the nurses, the staff, everything, was I, I was absolutely blown away. It was so amazing. And they don't get credit for that either. Mm. All, all you hear about A and E is the criticism of the delays, but uh, and, oh and God, countless times, amazing. countless times, I have spoken uh, to people, and when they go into A and E, and when they see what the doctors and nurses, you know, even though there oh, might um, be huge delays, nobody is critical of, of the work that's been done. But just back to the home health for a moment, particularly with this figure of one thousand six hundred and forty-eight people waiting for provision of service uh, here in Cork and Kerry, the region with the lowest list is Dublin's North. City. They only have 32 people waiting. How can that region get it so right and other parts can't? It's, it's almost like it's a postcard lottery. There you go. And you're, you're spot on again. It all depends on which, which is the handier pot to work in, uh, which is the shortest route to get to, get to, to work, basically. Um, it's still down to, I, I scratch my head in, in a lot of parts of the HSE when they tell us they can't recruit people yet they can fill these spots by agency staff who actually cost a lot more. And I do think it's down to the fact that they're not willing to commit to a properly resourced workforce within the HSE. And I suppose as well, it's it's different when you're on a contract or on the agency stuff. There's no pensions to be paid. Mm. But I, I, I know from my own mother's experience, I mean, she worked well, well into her 70s even. You know, yeah, and, many, and many did. Many of the older home helps uh, worked long and hard, and it was almost like it was a vocation. They didn't want to give up on their oh, clients. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and it was and, everything and, and from we, doing we also, the shopping, cleaning. Yeah, and we had, we we spoke about somebody dropping somebody to mass, and we're told they can't do that anymore because if there was an accident and whose insurance would would cover it, yeah, we're back in the old days. Ridiculous. Somebody ridiculous. would drop the, the the lady up to up to the church, but we also have to bear in mind that a number of those who are waiting are currently in a hospital to be- a bed and they're deemed a delayed uh, discharge. So this is a knock-on effect, not just for the older person, but it is a knock-on effect for everyone who's waiting on a hospital bed, for example. Oh, absolutely. And we, and we see it at the moment. And we spoke on the unoccurrence going back there as well, with our closing respite centres, whether it's long-term or short-term stay. It's more these uh, centres that we need to actually set down beds, step down beds, so those people can be released from hospital and those who need it in hospital can get those beds. And those who who are fit enough to leave the hospital should be going in, you know, to uh, step down care or respite care or going back into their home. And in fairness, like with the way we're mapping it out, it doesn't seem to be that difficult to plan. But unfortunately, this line of work is not attractive to the new people coming in. Uh, it's a different style, I suppose, to the older people that were carers with the empathy and all this. People are afraid of the rules and regulations and stepping outside the doors now because there is consequences for it. But we're now going away from, I suppose, a, a kindness, understanding, uh, an empathetic way of working to you have one hour in that home 
you go and you do X, Y, and Z. That's all you do. Move on next. It's yeah. more like being a Listen, routine. Listen, we, we, we had people yesterday that, that that one hour was re, was reduced to thirty minutes, and in another case, it was re, it was yep. reduced to fifteen. How you were expected to go in and do anything in in ah. fifteen uh, minutes? And as you've said, we have an aging population. I was looking up statistics before I came in air uh, this morning. They reckon the number of people over the age of eighty five is expected to increase by sixty eight percent by twenty thirty one, which isn't that far away. So we it have an aging po- population that we need to prepare for. And please let us not forget behind every one of those statistics are real lives and they're real people who deserve so much better than what they're getting at, at the when moment. Patricia, they gave so much to the, when Patricia, they gave so much to the state when they were going up and they were working and they were contributing to the state that the least that we could do in their latter years in life is give them the best, the yeah. best care that okay. is possible. Not the best care that's available, but the best care that should be provided to each of those. On okay. an let, let me let me let me end cases. this piece with Annette, who says, "Good morning. I am a healthcare assistant, and I absolutely love my job. I have the most wonderful clients. I do this job because I love caring for people. It's definitely not for the money. I struggle every month just to pay my bills. I do a lot more than what I'm supposed to do. The travel allowance is a joke. As the more mileage you do, yep. the less you actually get paid for. I have to service my car twice a year." tyres and mileage is going up on my car so the value of my car is going down all just to do my job and that is from uh, Annette. Thank you for that uh, Annette. Okay and listen Pat just before we let you go obviously the big talking point of the day today uh, is uh, the the government very confident of winning the no confidence vote uh, today that your uh, party is, is, is tabling is it a waste of time to table this? Could you be using doll time for something else? You could argue, people will argue for and against that, but to be honest with you, uh, as Minister McEntee is the Minister for Justice, we've already seen on Garda Sheikana have already had a vote on our confidence in the Garda Commissioner. This is about um, protecting, I suppose, the rights of our, on Garda Sheikana, our defence forces, our army, navy, air corps. We're just not being, they're not being properly resourced. I suspect um, the government will win. The, the motion of confidence on the minister, but the fact is here, it's an opportunity to raise it. We, I talk to guards every single day I'm here in Dublin, and the, the, the feeling within that force at the moment is they are not being supported. They don't trust hierarchy. I mean, we see them desperate scenes, and I was in Dublin for it. It was horrific what went on a number of weeks ago. But I mean, to have Gardaí on the beat, not properly resourced, not even as much as proper a baton or even a helmet, is frightening. But, but Pat, how will a no-confidence motion in, in Helen McEntee that you know for sure yeah, you're going to lose, what will that do for Gardaí on the beat? Well, do you know what? It, it's now is the plan to actually stand up and say to the Minister, Minister, we have no confidence in you. Your forces outside of the houses have no confidence in you. We need a proper minister who will actually listen to the Gardaí on the ground, listen to their real concerns, and whatever they need, they should get it to protect law and order in this country, to protect us all and make us all safe. But even for the people going to work, you, you can imagine, and I've spoke to many Gardaí on this and saying, but it's amazing, I said, you get up every morning and one of the last things you'll put on before you go to work is a stab vest. That's it. That's your, that's your security for today. 
You know, we, we need to listen to our Gada Shia Khan. Okay. And, and can I, can I just make one more point? Because I, I, I know a lot of the focus is all on Dublin uh, because of what happened at last month's um, horrific. Yeah, but, the, the, but is, would you have a fear because so much focus is going on Dublin and we're told there's lots more extra Gardaí uh, being, you know, stationed in, in Dublin and moved to Dublin to protect the Dublin streets? Yes. Are you fearful that, are you fearful yes, that other areas are going to suffer? Oh, absolutely. Of course they will, Patricia, because the resources aren't there. You must remember back in 2009, there was a recruitment ban. That's what led to the Gatto Training College being closed for nearly two years under Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. I mean, we should be... It's all about resources again. And you're right. Um, I remember putting in a parliamentary question on the Rackhormac Gatto Station, Rackhormac Gatto Station, mm. maybe over a year, year and a half ago, because the two Gatti, they were retiring. All I wanted to know was the station being left open and was the Gardaí that were retiring going to be replaced. The letter I got back from the Kian Corner's office was, we have to refuse this question as the Minister for Justice has no remit over on Gardaí Shia So that tells you a lot. Who, so who has who is who responsible? Who has remit, yeah. I rested my case. It was so frustrating. And the New York trying to go back to your constituency and while I didn't get an answer yet, I don't know. Okay, listen... Nearly 18 months later, they opened the station again. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there, uh, Pat. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you for no joining problem. us on the programme. Good morning to you. And that thank is you very much. Good morning. Good. That is Cork East uh, Sinn Féin Dáil Deputy uh, Pat Buckley. 0818 103 103. And just on a query that came in earlier this morning from a listener who said they came across a Hackney driver this week and he had no licence up on his the windscreen of his car. Uh, and Derek is wondering, is that allowed? So we checked, actually, since it's information, there are a mine of information. Uh, and we checked with the licensing authority as well. And they say that Hackney drivers must display the driver's Hackney licence on the dashboard. It doesn't have to be stuck onto the windscreen but it does have to be on the dashboard and they must also be able to give receipts. The Cork City Independent Councillor Ken O'Flynn has stated that urgent action is needed to address water quality issues in part of the city and Ken O'Flynn joins me to outline what exactly is going on. Good morning to you Ken. Good morning, Patricia. How are you this morning? I'm very good and you're welcome to the programme. Now, I have to admit, I have seen many photographs online of people with uh, glasses of water that I have to say look very, very uh, discoloured. What areas of the city are you hearing that householders are having the most problems? Well, we're having problems from uh, Balavlan, Fernry, Fairhill. Um, I was out in Ballon Temple actually the other day and uh, somebody produced a glass of water to me. That looks like a cup of tea, that's being honest with you. Um, you're talking very heavy discoloration. Mainly anyone that's affected from the new Ballancolig line that was brought into the new wa- waterworks that feeds the north side of the city and parts of the city centre. Now, so quite, I, what, quite, quite a large population of people that are, are yeah, being this affected. Is, yeah, this. It's, a, it's a big area. And, and while you can't yeah. tell from a photo, but is there a smell from some of those water samples? Uh, the interesting thing is that there, from some of them, there is a very distinctive odour. Um, I'll be honest with you, I was talking to somebody who lives very close to Parky Creeve the other day, and he told me his water is coming out crystal clear, but the smell is foul. Um, and I've spoken to somebody else who in Ballon Temple who said to me that they had a situation where the water smelled very chemical-like, um, bleachy kind of smell, yeah, you know, um, yeah. which which you would be serious concerns. Look, it's, it's, it's not a new story that's going around. This is happening uh, in the north side of the city for, um, you know, Patricia, it's going on probably almost a year and a half now. Um, and we have to, we'll say that there's been very, very good um, 
running of water um, that has become out crystal clear. And then we have periods of time where it's actually coming out, um, as I said, like murky. Yeah, murky. And you what know? about taste, Ken? Uh, taste as well. Uh, some people have, have already sent off water samples to the EPA because of the unusual taste. One of the big problems that I'm seeing there in particular in the north side is people trying to shower, um, people trying to wash baby clothes, people trying to wash their own clothes. Um, I've had people that are running laundrettes contact me as well, saying, look, the water supply that's coming into them, that they're worried, very, very worried about discoloration of people's clothes. Oh. Um, look, I, I'll be honest with you now, Patricia, looking at the water and looking at the samples that I've seen, and I've been in people's house watching, watching it come out of the taps, a, I wouldn't feel comfortable washing my clothes in it. Certainly, wouldn't feel comfortable in in washing children in it, uh, or would I would I feel comfortable in any way of drinking it? Uh, and from what I understand, and this was printed in the Examiner back last October, is when the new connection pipe um, came from Ballincollig out to the new waterworks in the Lee Road, that it connected a brand new pipe with the. Um, old antique system, the Victorian system that is in the north side of the city and, and in the main city centre as well. Now, to connect these, uh, some uh, Bright Spark decided that they were going to flush the water with a chemical, um, which is, as I understand, the composition of this is similar to caustic soda. Now, um, Irish Water have come back out with a statement saying that this is entirely safe. Um, but I would imagine whoever made up the solution to go in, um, they were a bit heavy-handed. Yeah, but you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you have no evidence of that. You, you, you have no. I, I, I have no evidence. And, well, and we, I, and we do know I, after I, heavy yeah, rain. I will we be honest with you, Patricia. I have spoken to people that are working in 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 the services that can't, for obvious reasons, come online or can't. Uh, come, come on to your show and tell you what the, what the, what they believe, but whoever put in the solution, um, the gunk and dirt of the Victorian uh, lines is now coming in and flowing into the. Um, but would that would that not in, eventually just wash? Would that not eventually just wash through? You know, I mean, after a heavy rain, well, it, it, we all have yeah, water yeah, it, discoloration, but it runs it, off. Well, it doesn't seem to be washing through. You know, as I said, this isn't this isn't something that happened overnight. This is something that's happening for the last year and a half on the on the lines. Okay, um, and what what are we that there is medical what are Rishka Aaron saying? I mean, do, are they offering advice to the well, homeowners? They're, they're coming out. They're coming out with a statement saying that they that the uh, detergent uh, that they've put through the lines is fine and it meet, and it meets the European standard. Um, I'm say, there's people as as well as myself are after making complaints to the EPA and asking the EPA to step in and check and to double check and to triple check this. I think Irish Water should have put out a boiled water notice for Cork City, to be honest with you, because I don't feel comfortable about it myself, even looking at it. Look, that's my own, my own personal opinion. Um, you know, you can produce any scientific report. The big problem that I see with Irish Water at the moment, right, is that you ring a a, a telephone, a free phone telephone number, which is fine. You get a very, very nice boy or girl on the phone to you that's working down in Abtran. Um, they, have, they have a list of answers and a list of questions. And you know, if there is something that's not on that list of answers that's been provided to them from the from Irish Water itself, because it's an outsourced customer services centre, they don't have answers for you. Like when Irish, when the water system was under Cork County Council or Cork City Council, at least you were able to talk to an engineer and say, look, what's the problem with so-and-so in Blarney? Or what's the problem with something up in, in Grana Brother? Or what's the problem well, with Whereas as Canada councillors, yeah, you, you don't have that. But yeah. we do know, Ken, the water, water is tested constantly and, and we know if it fails 
Hills, you know, we'll be here on the radio station, you know, Ishgaron will get on to us and we'll be eating, do not drink or boil water notice. And there hasn't been any, has there for Cork City? There there hasn't been any boil water notice. I, I, I would question that. I've asked HSE and and the environmental the environmental services to step in and che- and to double check and triple check this because I am concerned about it. Uh, you know, look at that water coming out of the tap. That water coming out of the tap that is uh, looks like cold tea. Uh, you know, I would challenge anyone to drink that. Yeah, no, you know, nobody I, would be so happy I, drinking I, that. If I, put, if I put a point to that in front of you, Patricia, would you feel No, absolutely not. I, I Absol- I as, and as I say, I, 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 have, I have seen I've seen the footage and I'm assuming our people, I mean, b- boil water notices with the cost of electricity at, at the moment is, 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 well, is, is, is not... not but that, are people buying water? Are people buying water? A lot, lot of young mothers, young families that, that have our you know, are finding it tough out there, even as it stands, are now adding onto their bill, uh, onto their bill, bottled water across the city, across the city, and elderly people as well. You know, um, uh, you know that's the reality of it. People are having to buy bottled water. People are concerned about their their ta- their taps. They're concerned about their washing machines. They're concerned about you know bathing their children in it. Is this safe? And I, I think the EPA, an independent body, um, has to come in to double check what's happening with Irish water. OK, and I suppose if people don't have confidence in the water, that's uh, what ends up um, happening. OK, so and, and are you have you written to the EPA or are you are you asking the I've EPA ri- to get I've involved? Written to the, I've okay. written to the EPA. I've also, um, with some of the constituents around the north side of the city, we've sent off samples to the EPA as well to be checked and okay. asked them to check it. Let us know um, when you get results on that, uh, Ken. In the meantime, I thank really you for that and thanks for joining us. No problem. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is independent Cork City Councillor uh, Ken O'Flynn on Home Helps. A listener says, My wife is a home help and she's been doing it for over 30 years. The problem is she doesn't drive. I end up driving her from morning to night. And by the way, says this texter, I don't get paid for it. And if you have little ones in the house who may have gotten to see Mama kissing uh, Santa Claus, a reminder to you that uh, the Santa Claus are back with Nick Richards in the afternoon. These are one of the nicest parts of the run up. Uh, to Christmas and for your chance for your little one to get a call from Santa in the North Pole you simply go to c103.ie and fill out the form and register then stay listening because we could be calling you. That's Nick Richards Santa Claus calls their weekdays from 1pm but you need to register your little one now at c103.ie. Staying on Christmas, Catherine was on to say that she, now I don't know where Catherine is texting from but it's outside of Cork but she came to Cork um, to the city at the weekend and she said first of all beautiful decorations uh, up. She absolutely loved the decorations but she felt Cork City was lacking Christmas atmosphere because there was no Christmas songs being played on the streets. She couldn't find Christmas songs in any of the shops and she thought it was actually off-putting for somebody who was coming to our beautiful city to do some Christmas shopping. We are lacking atmosphere, not enough music, says Catherine. Would you agree or disagree? 0818103103 And here's another listener who's contacted us looking for uh, advice and I really don't know uh, what what can what can be done on this. But anyway, just just take a listen because maybe it's happened to somebody else. Could you please raise the issue of medicine shortages on your program uh, this morning? I cannot get my cholesterol tablets anywhere, and they are the only ones I can take after trying numerous other different brands. Also, I rang my doctor today to get a prescription, which I said I would pop in to the GP surgery to collect to be informed. No 
sorry, the only way that your prescription can be issued is send it direct to a chemist. I explained that that doesn't suit me as when it's sent direct to the chemist shop, the pharmacist deems it the proper, their property, thus denying my right to try elsewhere for the medicine if they don't have it in stock. The chemist actually refused to give me my prescription. I paid the doctor for this and therefore I feel it's mine. Can you refuse to have a prescription sent directly to the chemist and instead have it issued to me, sent by email and then I can print it off. I'm just so upset by our gov- government and Leo Varadkar saying we are a rich country but its citizens cannot access basic medicines. Other countries in the EU have put policies and plans in place which avoid this scenario. Why do we always have to be treated so badly by the powers that be? Very demoralising. Sorry about the long uh, text. Now we are covering something uh, I, I think it's Thursday by the time we're going to be able to get to it. We are going to be covering something on the medicine uh, shortages. There's been a 90% surge in medicine shortages just over the last year. The new figure on medicine shortages now is at 332 global trends have signalled once again this year uh, in the winter there'll be a shortfall in certain antibiotics, there'll be a shortfall in over-the-counter cough and flu cold remedies. Remember they went in short supply uh, last uh, year and some pharmacists are saying that this is an an unanswered crisis which has now gone into its second year and that we haven't, as a government, they haven't done anything about it. Uh, Most of the shortages are to do with the older generic medicines where prices have been reduced multiple times uh, over over the years and it's against that background that there is a and there's significant cost increases but because these medicines are so cheap and they sell for so little that what suppliers are doing they're choosing to go to other markets where volume and reimbursement is significantly higher they get paid more in another uh, country so and it's also not uncommon to only have one manufacturer making a particular drug and I don't know if that's the case with this cholesterol tablet or not and I do know for a lot of people, if you've ever tried cholesterol tablets, it can be hard to find one that suits you and doesn't cause you aches and pains and doesn't cause you uh, side effects. So I do have sympathy that you have a cholesterol tablet that's working, but now it's obviously one, one of the ones that's gone in short supply. But the bigger issue that this listener is raising is about the physical prescription. Remember the good old days when you went to the doctor and you got handed at the end of the consultation, you got handed a prescription and then it was up to you to go to whatever chemist you want to go to to have your prescription filled. What this listener is trying to find out and we'll, we'll see we'll do our best to see if we can find out for her uh, as well is can you now not ask to have the prescription given to you and as she says if it's if it's to do with they're trying to save on paper she said they can email it to me like they email it to the chemist and she said she'll print it off herself she wants to be able to go from chemist shop to chemist shop with her prescription to say do you have this particular medicine in stock and this particular uh, brand which doesn't seem an unreasonable thing for this lady uh, or gentleman I don't know if it's a male or a female doesn't seem you know an unusual uh, request so does anybody know has anybody been to their doctor and is physically asked to have the prescription handed to them so that they can decide then if one chemist doesn't have it that they'll go to another chemist. If anybody can help us with that please do and as I say we will endeavour as well to try to get try and find out more about it and get to the bottom uh, of it on the programme. 0818 103 103 and is it a problem for others? I don't know maybe you're having the same uh, issue that you're not able to get the particular maybe brand you want. You're getting a generic brand that doesn't uh, suit you or you're getting a completely different brand because it's one of the ones that's gone in shorts. 
supply. How have you worked around uh, that issue? Now, still getting lots and lots of commentary in from a GAA go and this decision that we heard uh, yesterday 38 exclusive hurling and football championship matches are to go behind a paywall for 2024 but for us here in Cork three of Cork's four games in the Munster Hurling Championship if you want to see them next year you're going to have to pay for them uh, Hi uh, Patricia I'll say it once I've said it once and I'll say it again Cork players have to go on strike they've done it before for many different reasons now is the time for players to support the supporters. Column says even if you sign up for GAA Go you might have trouble watching the games if your broadband is slow. The service is often interrupted by slow broadband and nothing worse in the middle of a very exciting close match that suddenly the broadband uh, goes down. John says Patricia we should let both RTE and the GAA know how we feel by boycotting these games like we've done with the TV licence. I know us OAPs will miss not seeing these games but with my broadband I'll miss half of it anyway says John and says shame on RTE and GAA go Munster has five counties all capable of winning the Munster final they should be promoting the game of hurling Lee McCarthy as GAA president should hang his head in shame saying that well if the Cork matches weren't shown they wouldn't be shown if they didn't go on GAA uh, go I felt that statement was a disgrace it is some attitude to come out of the mouth of a Cork man says Anne. Hi Patricia, the treatment of genuine GAA followers is terrible. I met a man yesterday. He said, I can't go online to get tickets to go to the games because I don't have one of those fancy phones. So I don't go to any big matches anymore. And I can't watch them now on TV uh, either. I can't go to my family to watch the matches as their Wi-Fi coverage is so bad. I'm lucky, he says, to have the radio. The man is not alone on this. RTE know what games to put on GAA go the more popular ones so people will end up having to pay for them. The government would want to tell RTE get their act together or else withdraw funding. Thanking you, Patricia. Miriam Inina Shannon says, I agree with the earlier caller that at the end of the day, the GAA is an amateur organisation. It's turning into more like a professional organisation. We can watch our rugby matches for free on TG Cahar and the Rugby World Cup was free on RTE and Virgin. But now they're telling us we can't watch our own county play a game of hurling. Jerry in Skibbereen says, if RTE are choosing other games, can they not show the Cork games on the RTE news channel? If they're going to set up, set it up for GAA at the grounds, they have the feed. Why not put it on the news channel? And that way people won't have to pay. Carmel's in Clam. Nothing will be done about this. Karma says there was big commotion earlier this year when it happened. But at the end of the day, guess what? Nothing was done. Tom in Rathgormick says they have it all ruined. You must book your tickets now online. Now they're telling you we're going to have to watch a match online. They don't seem to care about the grassroots level supporters. I call them a shower of money grabbers. Many people are struggling at the moment and the joy they get from simply watching their local county play is now being taken away from them as they can't afford to go to the game uh, and not to mind pay now to watch it. Tom in Donnerell says, I'm not in favour at all of those players are not getting paid to play, but I would like to know what wage is the president of the GAA receiving because the money isn't going to the players. It's an amateur 
uh, sport. And just one final one from John in Mallow. Uh, this is reacting to Richard, who was one of our first texters today, who's not really worried about the paywall because he, he reckons that Cork are going to win nothing next year and it's just torture watching them play. John in Mallow says, well, I really hope that Richard in Mitchellstown will get to eat his words about Cork not winning a game. Go back to the days when they only showed four games on the television. They showed the three games. They showed the two semi-finals and the final. So if the GAA did not target the earlier games, then there would be no games shown at all as it was in the old days, just the semis and the final of all uh, of the All-Ireland. Uh, I'd be in favour of that. Go back to uh, basics and just show semi-finals uh, and finals of uh, both football and hurling. 0818103103. Your thoughts are welcomed. How are you feeling about GAA Go? And three of the four Cork matches, if you want to watch them next year, you're going to have to uh, pay. And you can get a three for uh, a three for two offer of 24 euro. Other than that, it'll be 12 euro a match. Or the pass for the year is 79 euro. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. Community employment uh, positions are available in the Fomoy, Kilworth, and Araglin areas for environmental workers caretaker and assistant youth worker. If you qualify for community employment, you need to contact Michelle O'Mahony. Michelle's number is 87 A bathroom sales assistant is wanted for Canturk. So some experience in retail or showroom settings would be an advantage. You can email info at burkeshomevalue.com or call 86 Tria Oil have a vacancy for a truck driver. Now, it's a multi-drop, rigid or articulated deliveries. It's to domestic and commercial customers in the Clonakilty and Bandon areas. Call 87 And a shop manager is wanted for a tool hire company in Dunmanway. Some experience with construction equipment would be an advantage. Call Vincent at 86 8328570. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. The All-Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care have just published a new book and it's called Positively Palliative. And the book is a collection of personal reflections of loss and love. And one of the stories in the book is of Marion O'Mahony, a Cork mother, and it tells the story of the loss of her beautiful son, Brian, who was just 19 when he passed away from cancer in 2001. And I'm delighted to say Marion joins me this morning. Good morning to Marion. Good morning and thank you very much for bringing me on the show and for speaking about our book from the Institute. Thank you. Well, it's just, it's 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 a beautiful, beautiful uh, book and I, I cried a lot, I have to say, uh, while reading it. And and your story in particular, Marion, is just so honest and so heartbreaking. So I suppose start by talking to me about Brian and the type of young lad he was and the young man he was growing up to be. I suppose Brian was a typical teenager. Um, he was 
uh, more out of the house than in. He loved his mates. He was always out. Like teenagers, he wanted, uh, he called us when he wanted money and he called us when he wanted a lift. <laughs> and he was always busy, busy. Um, he loved to do a bit of um, DJing and at the time with the decks with his other friends making music and just loved life. He was six foot tall. He loved soccer. He loved football. He was perfectly healthy uh, as far as we were concerned when all of a sudden he got some kind of severe pains and a couple of weeks later he was in hospital and diagnosed with leukemia. And that's and then that yeah, I think that is the real heartbreaking. Yeah, the real heartbreaking part of the story is he became sick very suddenly and very quickly after that a terminal diagnosis was yes, given. A couple of weeks afterwards, um, the doctor approached me to say that you know, like we were told originally, there was at least about a ninety percent success rate with this particular medication and all that. So I kind of honestly dismissed the notion that he died because I kind of said, "Oh, if somebody dies now, it'll be an old person or a person with another illness or something like that." Brian is healthy; he'll be the eighty percent. I sort of dismissed it in the way that you dismiss dying in a car accident or something. You know, it could happen, but it won't be me. Like so. Uh, then, unfortunately, I brought him back on a Monday after being home for the weekend. And the doctor called me and said, treatment isn't working. He's making no response. He has maybe a week, week and a half, two weeks to live. It was really difficult to take this on board. You know, I remember coming back to a doctor even after that and saying, you know, like, what are his chances? Like, you know, 40 percent, 30 percent. And the doctor said to me, less than one percent. So that was difficult to take on board. It was. And throughout his his illness, uh, Marion, he suffered incredible pain. And, and you write about the fact that he, he never complained. No, he, he just took it in his stride, which was absolutely amazing. You know, he like this is where the actual hospice came in, in the sense that the hospital suggested to us that uh, we call in Marymount Hospice. Uh, that they were good on pain relief. And to be honest with you, at the time, I didn't know anything about hospices or what they do. Uh, but obviously, uh, pain relief was something we were interested in. But of course, um, I didn't realise the great advantage it would be because having um, hospice care is, I realised, it's got nothing to do with dying. It's got everything to do with living, you know, uh, living in your best life, regardless of the conditions that you're faced with. And that was a real blessing to us because they helped us with the medication. For example, we had the best medication that we could for about eight o'clock at night so he could meet his buddies. If his buddies called, that he'd be well. That sort of thing. So mm. their real concern, uh, like the, the difference with the hospice care and the care in the hospital is that in the hospital, say if you go in with a tumour, your consultant is totally focused on the notion of uh, shrinking that tumour, getting rid of that tumour. And like if you had to go on, say, two different buses, uh, 200 kilometres to get to the hospital and you lost all your hair and you were violently sick for a week after the treatment, that doesn't concern the consultant too much because his focus is on watching that tumour. And if the tumour dies, he's happy with that. The hospice focus then, you see, is totally different because there you can still get your treatments, you can still get whatever treatment you're on, but their focus is 
like to consider whether this is the, you know, you might like a lighter treatment, a different treatment. Their focus is on your quality of life and on the quality of life of your family as well. So mm-hmm. they're looking after you kind of spiritually and emotionally and socially as well. They're not just focusing on your illness. They're focusing on you as a person. So that's the difference, really, between the hospital and the hospice. But then focusing on him as a person meant he got these medications that could help him to get up and about. Yeah. And 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 lead as normal as life as a teenager would want to be, as you say, surrounded by his friends. But Marion, I suppose as a mother, we want to protect uh, our children. Was that the hardest part watching him in so much pain? It was, absolutely. And that was the reason really that I wanted to write about it, because I think everybody focuses on, oh, it's a terrible thing to lose a child, which obviously it is. But it's actually a terrible thing also to watch anybody in pain, anyone at all, never mind your own child, and not be able to fix it, you know, and not be able to reverse it and to have to take God's will into account and just let life take its own course. You just want to put your hand out. You want to save them. You want to protect them. And that just wasn't something I could do. And I think it's very traumatic watching anybody that's very ill. And you and did. This is where, again, you get support, you know. Yeah. And you did. You did very much shield Brian in that he never knew he was dying. No, at the time when we were told he'd live a week, a week and a half, there didn't seem to be any real reason to tell him. Like he didn't have to make a will or he didn't have children to consider or any of the things that, you know, would cause an adult to need to know that they they're were moving along. When Brian uh, was ill, there wasn't any reason for him to suppose that, uh, especially it was really before the Internet was a big thing, so he wouldn't be looking up the Internet. There wasn't any reason for him to suppose he was going to die of this. And there didn't seem to be any point in telling him when he had a week or a week and a half to live. But in the end of the day, he lived 12 weeks, um, which obviously was a great bonus to us that he had got the extra weeks and perhaps he might have done. Yeah. yeah. And and his friends um, were an amazing support to him. Oh, oh I, I keep saying always, and it's over 20 years now since this happened, I do wish our young lads were so more appreciated because I think young lads are absolutely brilliant. You know, gangs of them were coming and they were just um, on the phone to him all the time and calling whenever he was well enough to have visitors and fretting about him if he wasn't well enough to have visitors. And going back to even his birthday, he was very weak before his birthday. And I said to the hospice nurse when she called, like, is there anything you can give him to get up out of the bed for an hour on his birthday so he can meet his friends? And they put him back on steroids and he was up and about on his birthday yeah. and able to meet his friends. And they all came back to the house till about three in the morning with <laughs> him. Like They were fantastic. And they were doing their leaving cert at the time. So it was difficult for them to do that, you know, with yeah. studying and exams and everything. It, they were absolutely amazing. And I always say young lads are so underappreciated. And it was, as I was reading your story, they, they do, do they still continue to give you a hamper at Christmas? They do. They call it Christmas with a hamper. And if ever I bump into them, you know, it's it's just such a lovely experience. It brings me, you know, it brings me back to the fun times of all the young lads in the house coming in and out and enjoying life. And as I say, the exceptional young men that they were and the care they took of Brian when he got sick, when he was in the hospital now and he had to go in a wheelchair for the first time. Obviously, all this was very sudden to him. They started 
racing him up and down the corridor, <laughs> sort of like making fun of it so that he was, you know, not so embarrassed to be suddenly yeah. in a wheelchair when it wasn't something he was accustomed to be to having to uh, take for his mode of transport. Yeah. Yeah. And as I say, it's it's a heartbreaking uh, read. And then, you know, there's that whole and, and, and I knew reading it because I realised as I was reading the story that I knew the story because I had um, previously spoken to you about your book back in 2016 that you wrote, um, the, Goodbye My Son. And so I, so I knew the story and how the story was going to unfold. Uh, but as I was reading it, Mary, going through my mind was, how do you say goodbye um, to a child? But it was almost, was there almost relief because he was out of that dreadful, excruciating pain? Yes, absolutely. I think there was a sense of peace. We had a sense of peace for for a number of reasons. He was out of pain for one reason. And the other reason was, I suppose, the performance we were all putting up, uh, pretending nothing was wrong, talking about football matches and who was going to score the next goal and all these kind of conversations that would have been normal in the house the big performance we were all putting on with a smile on our face. And that is one of the most complicated things to do when somebody is very ill, is to keep this big smile on your face and try and be lighthearted. It's very difficult to do when obviously you're feeling a lot of different emotions at the time. But he was, as I say, easy to mind. He didn't complain about his illness. And he was grateful for like a toasted sandwich or anything like that. He seemed that was delicious. He loved his grub. Yeah. You know, and I remember little my friend baking him a chocolate cake and he absolutely loved it. Of course, with the steroids, he almost inhaled it, but it, he loved his grub and he was great. He was delighted when he got some kind of extra treats. We lo- bought loads of Mars bars and things, of course, and he was delighted with himself. So, um, you know, we try to make light of everything and make his life as easy as we could at the time. Well, I think, I think and we were grateful that that he went happily. He never realised he was dying. So there were a lot of things to be grateful for. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and um, I have a, a really good friend of mine at the moment who lost um, her little boy to cancer just a, a few months ago. So I have a kind of a sense of, of the pain that... Um, that, you, that you've gone through. I mean, those that lose a child, Marion, you join a club that nobody wants uh, to be in. So, so yeah. you know, 20 years on, I mean, how are you doing? Do you just learn to live with that grief? Well, I think losing some anybody you're really close to, and I, I often say there's no competition, whether it happens to be your parents, your cat, your child. If you lose, lose somebody that's, you know, very important in your life, you know, you're going to be really quite lost and it's going to be very difficult and painful. And there's a tiredness, which is a thing I didn't expect with it, you know, because I think you're kind of carrying around a weight and it's very exhausting, which was something I didn't expect at all. Uh, The kind of exhaustion that went with grieving, which was an extra thing to carry. And I think over time, I suppose what I've what I've learned is that what you're aiming for in grieving is to be able to think of this person with love rather than with pain. And I think over time that comes that you can think of this person with love and be grateful for them. Whereas in the immediate aftermath, the pain is still there of, you know, what they suffered and what was so traumatic about watching them sick. That that I think is is something you carry and also the shock of seeing someone die and the shock of being in life without them. Life seems to have this big gap, this gaping hole 
that it takes a while to get used to. But after a while, you can find that you can get used. You know, you you carry that load and that's what makes you tired, I think, Mm -hmm. and exhausted. But uh, that is why I partly why I wrote the story to talk about the the sort of the trauma and the shock of it, as well as the loss, because I think loss is something that perhaps is easier to talk about and easier to understand. Well, it's a, it's an incredible story, and and actually, your your original book about uh, goodbye, my son, in in is, is that that's still available, isn't it? Or it is available is it, online. Uh, it, anyone can uh, buy it online, or they can always contact me, and we'll sort them out. Yeah. it's it's certainly online on Amazon, and it's um, an ebook if anybody wants it. And the positively also, as I say, my, palliative yeah, my where, story where, is in this. Yeah, where yeah. where is that available? Uh, well, it's my the palliative care book we can get from the All Ireland Institute because okay. they are sort of a, a charity, so they can't exactly uh, sell it over over the line. But it's available from the institute, from if you look up the All Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care. Okay. And my story is just one in that book. There are actually twenty different people have contributed. Now some have contributed a poem or various other. Um, pieces of of literature into the book there are 20 of us sort of that have written into the book and it was the whole idea of it came from the institute who decided that um they would like to mark the 10-year anniversary of voices for care now voices for care is the volunteer group and i belong to it with the all ireland hospice of palliative uh, institute of hospice and palliative care you see, the, the actual institute itself is um, a partnership of organisations like universities and charities and hospices and healthcare organisations. And their whole purpose is to advance education, research and practice because they want to improve the palliative care experience for those that are experiencing palliative care and also for their families. So then 10 years ago, they set up this voluntary group called Voices for Care, for which I am a member which was they set that up so that they could learn from people's personal experiences of palliative care. And that experience over the last 10 years has really informed and influenced the kind of care that is given, because care is not just in a hospice. It can be at home. It can be in a nursing home. It can be in a hospital. And they have learned from our experiences how to adapt and improve what they are providing for us and educating people so that that's really well done well sort done. Of where and, the whole thing came from. and I know there's going to be a number of launches of the book in in various libraries uh, across the country including this afternoon yes. in the Cork City Library from half two to half four uh, you're going along and you're going to read part of Brian's story yes I'll be uh, ah. launching in uh, the city library it's on the ground floor at half past two today and anybody is welcome to come and I will be reading from just a little extract from uh, my part of the book, uh, which is called Our Brian, my chapter in the book. And uh, it's, as I say, just trying to demystify the notion of palliative care, because it's sort of sad to think that a lot of people don't go for palliative care until later. And mostly what people say afterwards is, I wish we'd gone for palliative care. They left it too late, yeah. Because palliative care is about the person, you see, as I say, as against being about the illness and the disease. So the focus is on the family and how they can help the family. And as I say, you can be at home. We were at home with Brian. 
we were never in a hospice. Um, we were at home and in and out to the hospital for treatments. And palliative care nowadays is so totally different because it can carry on for years. It mm. isn't a matter of weeks or months before uh, somebody dies. It can be years and you can go in and out of palliative care. One of our members, um, uh, John, has had palliative care for an, about two years and then he felt well enough to get on without it. And he's a couple of years now without palliative care with the option to go back and avail of it any time that he wants. So it's not as it was maybe at the beginning when there was very little and it was kind of associated with end of life. It's a care that is available to anybody who has a life limiting condition. Yeah, I think, as you and say, it it's, it's about it's about living your, your yeah. best life. I can see uh, so many texts coming in, uh, Mary, and saying what an incredible woman you are and how your Brian would be so proud uh, of you. Listen, I wish you nothing but love and luck into the future. And thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us today. And good luck with the launch today in the Cork City Library. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Appreciated. Thank you. Bye, bye, bye. What a, what a lovely lady that is, Marion uh, O'Mahony. Just let me give you some of the texts coming in saying, oh my God, Patricia, what a brave, brave uh, woman. Just heartbreaking. As a mother of three boys myself, I just couldn't imagine the loss and the sadness. Sadness. She's so courageous to tell Brian's story. I have tears running down my face listening to Marion, particularly talking about Brian meeting up with his uh, friends. It brings back the memories of the happiness and the young lad in the house. I hope life brings her as much happiness as possible and her son Brian must be so proud of her uh, looking looking over her and uh, vice versa. It sounds like he was blessed to have had such an incredible uh, mother. And someone as Kaleshenkin says, oh my God, I'm in tears with that story. I didn't hear the start of it but I've obviously got a full sense of it. I know we all expect to outlive our kids. None of us expect to bury uh, our children. And someone says Marion is an amazingly strong uh, woman. Will you please wish her all the best? And one final one, Patricia, what an incredible mother who has endured every parent's worst nightmare. But yet here she is trying to help other families who are facing into the same situation. I am here totally in awe of her. Okay, and that's just a sample of some of the people responding to uh, Marion O'Mahony. Her story, her her Brian's story is told in Positively uh, Palliative, a book that has been published by the All-Ireland Institute of hospice and palliative care. Now locals in Ballinine and Enniskeen have launched a fundraising campaign to restore the old railway station house and they hope to transform it into a community hub. Margaret O'Donovan is Vice Chair of the Ballinine Enniskeen Development Association known as BIDA and uh, Margaret joins me this morning with more details. Good morning to you Margaret. Good morning Patricia. Lovely to have the opportunity to speak with you this morning. Great to chat with you as well. I suppose start with what condition is the old railway station house currently in? Well, the old station house, as you know, and as everybody is aware, is an iconic historic building here in Ballin and Inneskeen. And it was used by the community following the closure of the West Cork Railway in 1961 for many years. It was um, used, as I said, by the community for meetings, all sorts of events in the community. Some years ago, uh, development work was done on it, a new roof was put on it, but latterly it has fallen into disrepair. The current, uh, currently, work is ongoing and we have commenced work to clean out the building, <clears throat> excuse me, because there had been some damage to one annex and the roof on one annex, which resulted in a lot of, a lot of uh, guano, etc., being in the building. It has been cleaned out and netted and we're ready to restore 
that component of the roof over the annex which has fallen into disrepair in which there's a huge hole. Yeah, and That's the, the roof, current state yeah, of it. I think with any old building, it's to secure the roof is probably the, the, it's, it's probably the, but the rest, structurally, it's quite sound, is it? Structurally, is it? the outside and the walls, etc. And structurally, it's quite sound. Internally, and I've been in there recently uh, since it has been cleaned out, the rooms are pretty much as they were downstairs. The stairs have fallen down, so that will have to be replaced. There will be a lot of work to be done in there following the securing of the building. I suppose that's the first part, the first phase of the restoration project. Yeah, because if the roof is intact, it'll stop further damage. It's when the roof Absolutely. is damaged, the, we- the weather takes over. So the plan is to kind of do it in two phases. The Did I read that? to do it in two phases. And we've yeah. made lots of inquiries. A committee has been put in place to do it in two phases. Phase one has two components. Ibrahim, the first part of that was to clean it out, which okay. has been done. That has been done. And secondly, to um, restore the roof. So the building then will be structurally sound then and ready for phase two, which will we will apply for grant aid for that then by you know, all strands of grant aid in the new year when they come on stream to refurbish and restore the internal parts of the building. OK, but there is a fundraising aspect. Do you know how much there you need is, to raise? Of course. Uh, currently, we need to raise €200,000. It's quite a lot of money, absolutely. We launched our fundraising campaign just over a week ago. Already we have more, almost 65000 raised, which is wonderful. We reached out uh, in the first instance to the business community and they haven't been found wanting. The local business community and those a little bit further afield and some individuals as well who have a great affinity and connection with the area we're forthcoming with funds. So we have been very fortunate that that support is there. Wonderful support locally for the project. And we reached out, as I said, in the first instance to the business community. And we're delighted with the response there. Well done. Um, well done to the, well done to the oh, business community. Well done. And, and I just want to use this opportunity, to, Patricia, to thank the business community and those individuals, uh, both here and abroad, who have supported uh, reaching out to the diaspora as well. I suppose the next phase, Patricia, is we're going out to the community now um, to look for support there, financial support. All sorts of support indeed, not just the financial, but anybody who'd like to become involved with this restoration project and help out in any way, um, in whatever way. And a number of people have come to us saying they'd love to get involved in the committee. You're more than welcome. Because when so, you say you cleared it out, did, was that done? Did you do that as volunteers or did you? How did no, you, no, 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 we didn't. We, we, we got the, uh, a company, a All professional right. company to do that for us. OK, yeah. well done. Because it was quite dangerous. There was a lot of toxicity there, a lot of guano, which had to be removed. Um, so it wouldn't have been suitable for volunteers. And will, the, will you be able to access grants? So there's, there, there usually is a lot of grants, isn't there, for this There are a of lot work. of grants, yeah. but we made a number of inquiries um, during the year in relation to grants. And we're told that, you know, first of all, just restore the building, just secure it. And then once that's done, and I suppose it's safe, and it, it will be because it's, it's, it will be quite secure, then there will be access to grants. Okay, and the long term plan would be that this would be a, a community hub, a, a place for cultural events. Is it any kind sure. of community activity? Is absolutely yeah. because, as I said to you at the at the outset, there, Patricia, this was a community hub. We have a wonderful community centre and a wonderful community hall, but the station house just was a community hub where there were meetings. Um, I remember as 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 a, a teenager myself. Uh, 
being at the youth club meetings there. MOCRA had their meetings. So it is envisaged and it is intended that it will be, again, a community hub. Uh, there will be a space for a digital hub, fibre optic space where people can co-work. Um, it will be really a, a focal point for the community. There'll be a gallery space, that kind of idea, where classes can be held, um, literacy classes, outreach classes for our diverse community. And we would hope in time then to have a little museum because the railway is, was very significant in West Cork. So that would be would be very important, well and done. hopefully, hopefully, little community cafe in time. Yeah, I love I love yeah. these ambitious plans, and what I also love about a building like this is you're securing it for the future generations. When we're all long gone and pushing up daisies, there will Absolutely. be people who will be able to go into that community uh, hub and be thankful for the for this committee that decided to get together to do something about it. And and like we saw the disappointment with the good people in, in Baltimore who, yes. who, you know, they wanted to do something similar with their, well, it was a museum they, they wanted, uh, wanted to have uh, and it went into, into a private developer. I know there's nothing wrong with private developers, but there's something lovely about keeping it in the community. It, indeed, I, I totally concur with that sentiment. And I suppose the beauty of this is that the Beda Station House is owned by the community. It's the Berlin and the Scheme Development Association owns the building. It's on our, 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 our facility. So that is, that really, it's therefore, it is community. It's community-based. And it will be. And the point about being there for the future, of course, it was there in the past. And it was interesting at the launch last week, a number of people said to me, younger people, in fact, we didn't, you know, we have never got to experience what you experienced yeah. as youngsters in the yeah. station house. So please bring it back for us. That's, that's a really good point. So you've got an idonate.ie if you just search for BIDA if people uh, want to uh, donate and help you in any way. And as yes. I say, I think reaching out to the diaspora abroad, I think is, is because people will have such fond memories of this uh, rare station. And I suppose, Patricia, and before we finish, uh, yes, we have an I Donate page. There's a Facebook page, the Beda Station House Restoration Campaign, but also a number of fundraisers are planned uh, by the community. And in fact, the IFA local branch has organised uh, organizing an event for the 7th of January. And this is interesting as well, because people can bring along to the Beda Centre their Christmas trees, and the IFA will look after... Uh, mulching the trees. This is the circular economy yeah. around sustainability and the mulch will go to the tidy towns, the local <laughs> tidy towns group, Fantastic. the gardens, all to the, to the schools. Um, so it's back going back into, you know, it's around that sustainability aspect of okay. it. Okay, well, keep, so us, keep, keep yeah. us informed of any other yeah. fundraising and just events. One more, thing, uh, okay. one more thing, Patricia. Okay. Um, I talk about sustainability. On the coming Sunday in the Beda Hall, we're having, uh, Beda are having a Christmas fair and Ballinina Scheme Tidy Towns Association in conjunction with Ahiol Tidy Towns Association will be launching reusable cups rather than, you know, the one-use coffee cups. This yeah. is a really pioneering initiative. And we're delighted that, um, that uh, Orla Cronin, our local Camogie All-Star and Camogie player, will, uh, who, of course, is, a, is an activist around environment and climate action. And, of course, she's bringing another very sustainable cup to the, to the fair, which will be the O'Duffy Cup. Oh, so yeah. she's a local and girl. And that's here. this and Sullivan as well. That's this weekend, this, this weekend, this Sunday okay. at ten, um, uh, on the 10th at 2pm. So Chris okay. Sullivan and Orla uh, will launch the Cup. Uh, so if, uh, inviting everybody to come along. I'm way over. There. I'm way over on time. Keep me Sorry. informed of any other events coming up in the new year. I'd be only too we'll happy do. to give them a mention. Look after yourself. Great you to chat. You Patricia. Love God bless. To you. Bye bye. Margaret O'Donovan. What a great talker. Vice Chair, Bananine Enniskeen Development uh, Association. 
C103's Christmas Coverage. With Super Value Gift Cards. Perfect for every occasion. Available in store or online for e-gift cards that can be sent with a personal message. Search Super Value Gift Card. Now, I gave you your cue to text and you did in huge, huge uh, numbers. And even though when you do text in for this competition, you need to keep your phone by you and you need to be available to take a call. John Paul says he rang a number of people and nobody was answering, which is really good luck for Margaret Mulcahy because she was, I think, third on the list in Liam Lara. Uh, good afternoon, Margaret. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. I'm ve- and you're in the car, I'm told, are you? I'm in the car and just driving at the moment, but I've pulled in. So you good? Okay. So, so you're all okay. Okay. A super value gift voucher to the tune of €500 Euro would come in handy at this time of year. Oh, we would love that. We'd absolutely love it. Thanks very much. Where's, I hope I can answer the question. Where, where's your nearest super value? Glanmire County Park. Oh, Glanmire. Oh, oh, you've got you've got you you've got a choice. Okay, your question. Santa Claus is also known as Saint Who? Is it A Saint Anthony or B Saint Nicholas? Saint Nicholas. It is indeed. Well done. <laughs> they're, they're very easy. Well, congratulations. And keep keep that phone close by you because after six today, Martina will be calling one of our qualifiers back. And if you get that call, you'll be 500 euro better off. Oh, lovely. Thanks so much. Okay, enjoy Thank the rest you. of your day. Bye-bye. Bye. Margaret Mulcahy there in uh, Leem uh, Lara. Now, Nick Richards will do it all over again this afternoon. He'll look for another qualifier. Martina will look for a fourth qualifier and then four names will go into the hat and Margaret will call one finalist back to tell them they've won a €500 Euro shopping uh, spree thanks to Super Value Gift Cards and C103. And, of course, Super Value gift cards are perfect for every occasion. They're available in store or online for e-gift cards that can actually be sent with a personal message. So you can search Super Value gift cards only on C103. Now let's get to some of your calls and comments coming in. Quick mention for a Christmas social and dance. I saw this text come in in the middle of all the competition once. It's on in Ballinascarthy Hall this uh, Friday night. Music is by Patrick O'Sullivan and dancing is from 9pm on until 12 midday and all are welcome. Lovely text in from Councillor Declan Hurley in West Cork who was listening to my chat just before 12 with uh, Margaret O'Donovan and what's going on in Ballinine and Enniskeen with the old uh, railway station uh, house. And uh, Councillor Declan Hurley says, you're talking to a community powerhouse that is Margaret O'Donovan, particularly if you want to get anything done in the community. Yeah, she's so enthusiastic, isn't she? I love chatting to people like Margaret, I have to say. Anyway, Declan says the history of the West Cork Railway is very close to my heart and I'm so excited about the Station House project and I'm actually looking forward to supporting the community in bringing this project to fruition. I applaud the community for taking on this ambitious project, but knowing the community spirit, that exists in Ballinine and Enniskeen. I'm confident they'll succeed in their efforts. It's a unique building, so much history attached. It rightly needs to be protected for future generations and for the community's benefit. Best wishes. And that's from Councillor Declan Hurley. Yeah, and that was one of the points I was making to Margaret. I love the idea of, you know, our generation today, the the people around today who are willing and able to get involved in projects like that because it's future generations are the ones who will really benefit and will be really thankful that 
buildings like that are saved. So the best of luck to everybody involved in Ballinine and Enniskeen. And Margaret's promised to keep us posted. So we'll keep you updated on anything that's going on in connection with that uh, railway uh, house. Thomas was on uh, to do with banks not taking cash. <laughs> it's ridiculous to say that, a bank that doesn't take cash. He was in a branch of permanent TSB this morning. I don't know where Thomas is calling from. And he said business people were in there trying to lodge uh, cash. Now, they weren't trying to do it at the counter. They were trying to put it into the machines, which we're all encouraged to do. We're all, they have us all talking to machines now. But uh, Thomas said he noticed that the whoever was in back working in the bank was explaining to these business people, sorry, but the machines are full. Can you come back another day? He said, isn't it crazy to think a, ca- a bank today that can't take uh, cash? And wouldn't you think there'd be somebody there to unload. I don't know how those machines get emptied. Is that a security firm comes in or what? But it does seem crazy to ask business people who are already probably struggling to make the time to get to the bank with the cash to, you know, to offload it and to get it lodged into their account to be told, sorry, we can't take any more cash from you. It's, it does seem uh, crazy. I, I have to agree with you, Thomas. So wait, one eight one oh three one oh three. Still getting in texts about GAA Go. Dan in Charleville describes it as the GAA Go debacle. Dan says, I think one of the biggest issues here is that those who are creating the problem are also offering the solution, i.e., They're saying you can't watch it for free, but give us money and we'll sort it out for you. It's the same revenue generating model highlighted in the RTE Investigates programme last night on the planning objections. Nothing illegal, but surely it's totally immoral. Kind regards, says Dan from Charleville. Yeah, I have that programme taped. I haven't uh, watched it. But um, the bits I saw that were were shown on the news, etc., that planning, it was just jaw-dropping to think people were going around making money out of planning objections and particularly planning objections to houses that are so badly uh, needed. And Dee in Goleen says, when you're talking about the GAA, Patricia, it's not nicknamed the Grab All Association for nothing. John and Liscara says he was ch- chatting with a man from Tipperary last night who said to John uh, from Liscara that Cork doesn't deserve to be on the television as we finished last in the championship last year. I hope you told him where to go. Uh, uh, John, well, we're, if they might be on the television, we might be watching it behind a paywall uh, instead. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, and then um, some reaction to the listener who contacted us, who's having problems. She's having problems accessing a particular type of cholesterol. Uh, medication that she needs uh, to take one of these uh, statins and it's taken her quite some time to find a cholesterol tablet that suits her and works for her and doesn't give her any side effects but the problem is it's one of the cholesterol tablets that's gone on short supply but her problem is that the doctor keeps sending the prescription to the chemist and the chemist doesn't have it and where she said she would like to physically have the prescription and to be able to go from chemist shop to chemist shop willing to travel until she finds a chemist shop that has has the particular brand of cholesterol tablet that she wants and she's been told the doctor can't do that and the chemist is not allowed to give her out the prescription either and she's finding herself in a bit of a dilemma. A couple of people on about that. My daughter had the very same problem as that lady who contacted you with the, the particular drug she wanted wasn't available in the chemist. So what she did was she rang around all the local chemists until she found a chemist that had it in stock. Then she rang back her GP practice and the GP then sent on the prescription to the new chemist 
that did have the medication. So that might be a solution. Eamon says you can ask the doctor to email the address of the chemist you choose. Eamon says, and obviously he's caught with a number of medications that's on this shortage list. He said at the moment I'm dealing with two chemists here in County Cork and I'm also dealing with two in the west of Ireland and I've no problem. So you need to find the chemist and then get your doctor to email to that particular uh, um, chemist. And then a pharmacist contacted us to explain. Uh, He says what the lady can do is ask her pharmacy to give her the name of the drug and the strength of the drug she is looking for. Then she can ring ring around pharmacies until she finds a pharmacy that is stocking the drug. She can then ask her pharmacy to email the original prescription to the new pharmacy and there's no problem with doing that. The reason the GP can't change to different pharmacies is because they use a medical system which is like emails and the reason for it is if they were to use a normal email address then info would be available to anyone to see who works in the shop whereas this medical email is a secure system and it means only the pharmacy, um, the pharmacist who's going to fill your prescription is the only one that can see it. So a pharmacist can email it from one pharmacy to another. I wasn't aware of that. Okay, so there are a lot of solutions. So rather than you going around from chemist shop to chemist shop to the listener who contacts, just simply hit the phones until you find a chemist in your area or one that you're willing to travel to that will have the prescription that you need. 0818103103 and we are later on in the week going to be doing something about the drugs medicine shortage because that number is getting higher again every time we look at it. Uh, there's more being added uh, to the list but they reckon we're going to be back to where we were last year where it was hard to get over the winter periods it was hard to get certain antibiotics but it was also hard to get the -the over-the-counter you know the cough medicines and the colds and flus that a lot of people uh, rely on and then Vicky has emailed the programme Cork today at c103.ie to say I'm wondering if any of your listeners can help. My dad passed away in October and sympathies to you Vic on the loss of your dad and we have ended up with 36 unopened boxes of urinary bags. Now we've been told we can give them to the chemist but the chemist then will just dump them and I'm wondering is there any organisation someone like you know Medicines Sans Frontier Doctors Without Borders or any other charity that maybe send medical supplies abroad who could benefit from using them. It seems such a senseless waste. So 36 unopened boxes of urinary bags would they be of use to any charity, please, where they could get used rather than seeing them being dumped? And I'm, I'm assuming when they get dumped and they go for landfill or, in, or, or incinerate, it's bad for the environment uh, as well. So well done, Vicky, for reaching out and see if they can be of use to somebody. Vicky is in the Carrigaline Ringeskiddy uh, area and we can put you in contact uh, with Vicky if you know of a charity or anyone that c- could find use and be able to use those 36 unopened uh, urinary bags. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas. Bingo is on in Shambally Moor Community Centre tonight. 8 o'clock start. They've got a jackpot €3,050. Persons seeking assistance for the forthcoming Christmas season from the Society of St Vincent de Paul in the parishes of Inna Shannon, 
Kilbritton, Newcestown and Bandon should now please forward their requests to the SVDP shop box at Weir Street in Bandon R. They can drop it into St. Patrick's Church box in Bandon. Uh, you must do so prior to the 8th of December, please. Sponsorship cards are now available for Skull Christmas Day Swim. It's in aid of the Cope uh, Foundation. And you can email skullchristmasswim at gmail.com for further details. And a group will travel from Dublin on the 28th of April next year. They're taking on the final section of the Portuguese Coastal Camino, walking from Chia to Santiago. It's 110 kilometres over the week. Now, all funds raised will ensure that Anam Cara can continue their support services for bereaved parents. And that kind of ties in with us talking with Marion earlier today. If you'd like more information, you can email j.conway at anamcara.com or call them as a Dublin number 404 5378. And Castle Senior Club are holding their 10th annual cookery demonstration in the community centre tomorrow night at 8 with local chef Hazel Burke. Admission 10 euro and it'll include a booklet with all of the recipes and the methods that Hazel will use on the night and all are welcome. And St Michael's Centre will hold their Christmas party in the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon tomorrow night at half past seven. Tickets are €20. Euro. They're available from St Michael's Centre in the Town Hall or at Scannell's Pharmacy and that's of course at the Riverview Shopping Centre in Bandon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And we're still getting huge, huge uh, reaction to what I kicked off this, the programme with this morning by mentioning that it was confirmed yesterday that a total of 38 exclusive hurling and football championship games will be streamed by the pay per view service GAA Go during 2024. But the big bugbear for us here in Cork is three of Cork's four games in the Munster Championship, Hurling Championship now will go before a paywall. Finbar McCarthy is our GAA correspondent and uh, Finbar joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Finbar. Good afternoon, Tricia. What, were you surprised? Was it expected? Were you shocked? I was shocked that uh, three of the four Hurling games and possibly should we beat Limerick in football, the Cork Kerry game in Killarney goes behind the paywall as well. So that's potentially four Cork Senior Championship games that people have to pay for. I was stunned, really. But, you know, I, I think the reason behind it, and I don't agree with it, is the Cork Hurling supporters and Limerick are the two best supported teams in the country. So those three games that Cork are playing are guaranteed to sell out, in my view now. Mm. And this is an opportunity for the GA and GA go, whoever's running the thing, <coughs> excuse me, to make more money on top of the money that the Munster Council will make. That's my take on it. Yeah, I mean, the, it was defended yesterday by saying RTE picked the matches and therefore nothing to do with the GAA. So it's nothing to do with the support level of any of these games or how popular they will be. But I, I can tell you, there's a lot of our listeners are saying very much the same thing. It really is all about making money because it's a 50-50 split between RTE and the GAA. Yeah, and you mean to tell me now, Tricia, you're, home, you're watching games as long as anyone. You mean to tell me the RT would not pick cock hurling games? Don't don't kid yourself. There was some deal done here. I f- f- can't believe for life of me that RT would not pick hur- cock hurling championship games. Cork and Limerick, they've had some cracking games. Okay, Limerick have been the dominant team. But last year's Cork and Limerick game in, in the Gaelic was one of the best hurling matches 
of the year. And you tell me that RT are going to pass up that for some other game? Not in your life. This was all. There's a lot more going, going on here that we're not finding out about. And then the the, the statement that was um, put out by the GA president, Larry McCarthy, kind of saying, well, look, if because he's pointing the finger of blame at RTE, saying they picked uh, the games, and he's making the point, if we don't show them on GAA go, then they simply won't be shown. Well, there, there is that side of things, but there's the, the commercial side of it that, that, that people are going to have to fork out money to pay. You know, okay, they can only show us so many games. Maybe there was other pay-per-view or non-pay-per-view channels they could have got. Maybe Virgin Media could have got it in the act and show some of the games. Obviously, they have opted out. So this is where, where and Sky opted out, or they were moved out, not sure what actually happened. And GA Go came in to fill a gap. And I can understand that. But to have so many games for people have to pay for, and so many high-profile games, those, those high-profile games, in my view, should be on the main channel and should not be charging people to pay. We all know people. I'm my own mother-in-law is 93. She doesn't have um, her broadband isn't great. She won't be able to get GA Go. So, no. And she missed out on those cock games. And there are thousands of people like that. I gather from talking to John Paul that the reaction got this morning, Trisha, was immense. Un- unreal. To... Unreal. Yeah. I mean, because I... I, we had a reaction earlier this year when the GAA Go uh, whole deal kicked off, but nothing like the reaction we're, yeah. getting, we're getting this uh, this morning. I mean, people are really, really annoyed. And what, what, what I love and like about it is the amount of people that are speaking up on behalf of older uh, people yeah. who are, yeah. you know, and everyone's saying they are they're the grassroots. They were the backbone of the GAA. They were the ones that built the GAA and brought it to the organisation it is today. And now it's like, well, we're forgetting about you now. You can, you know, just off you go on your merry way. Uh, there's somebody says, thank God that C103 will be broadcasting the matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put that tweet up yesterday, kind of joke, they look free to charge, but and we will be, and we will do all those games, and you know that, and our, our, our sports team are very, very committed. I mean, next weekend we have two more live games, one from Mallow, one from the Gaelic Grounds in Limerick, and we continue to do that. But we have to make the point that the, the older generation of people, it's a bit like that the, the older generation can't go down and pay the gate, Trisha. They have yeah. to buy their tickets at events. And I've heard numerous stories of people of a certain generation, I don't like using the word old because we're all getting that way, people of a certain generation go down to matches and they can't get in. And it's only the generosity of other people that will buy a ticket for them or pay for them by car that allows them in. I think we're alienating a, a hardcore of people who've done so much work for the association down through the years. And now they, they have to pay to watch match on telly and they can't pay with cash going into the game. We're going down a very, very dangerous route. Yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, Finbar, uh, will agree with you on it. And I mean, and I even see Micheál Martin uh, came out very strongly. I mean, he's he says it's abs- absolutely shocking. And, you know, he's making the point that as many people as possible should be able to have access uh, to these games. You know, talking about uh, the game of uh, hurling. We want as many people as possible to see these games. And he's pointed out very clearly not everyone can get behind a paywall and the amount of pe- people listening to us in rural areas where the broadband and there's nothing worse yeah. than you're watching something and in the middle of it, it stops. And I, I heard a lot of, com- obviously, Trish, I don't see Diego because I'm at matches. I heard that a lot of complaints last year. They're half through the game. The picture was bad. The, 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 the thing went down. It would come back and we'd be behind and with Twitter now and local radio and everything, you're up to date fairly quickly and the match was fine for people. And that's an area that they need to improve on. But certainly putting it behind and charging people to watch our games 
is criminal. And I hope someone, someone in a higher authority, be the government or someone like that, whether they can do anything or not, I'm not so sure. I wouldn't be into the logistics. Of it. But I think the reaction from people all over the country now, not just car people, but I think the fact that, the, as I said earlier, the car calling team are so high profile to have three of their four games behind the paywall is absolutely criminal. It deprives the amount of people of seeing good quality hurling games unless you pay for it. And I think that's disgraceful. Yeah, and somebody's pointed out that the RT News Channel is there. Couldn't they put an extra match up on that? If they're, they're, they're going to have to put all the facilities in the grounds in order to beam it into GAA Go, could they not do it for free and put it up on, on the RT News? If this, is, if this isn't about uh, money. Uh, somebody else is saying, Patricia, I will put my reputation on the line when they say yesterday, if we don't put it behind a GAA Go, it won't be shown. RT would show Cork versus uh, Limerick. And I will put my reputation on the line. Someone else says a question for Cork GAA. Uh, were they consulted before GAA, uh, RTE and GAA go and the headquarters before the deal was done? From what I can gather, there was no consultation on this, no. Finbar. No. I'd say, I'd say not, Tricia, definitely not. I think this is a matter for the, the Central Council or the, the Management Committee of the GAA that would do all the dealings with, with, uh, with, the, with the broadcasting companies. And I said the Cork County Board, no county was consulted on this. They were just... I got an email during the week on Thursday or Friday. I get constant emails from Crow Park. I got an email from Crow Park on, I think it was last Thursday, not sure the date, inviting me to go to Crow Park yesterday morning at 11 o'clock where the announcement of the GA Ghost fixture schedule was being uh, was being uh, announced. And uh, the, the, all the guys in the, 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 the media were there and the pundits and the, the guys that represented the board were all there. So this was all done and dusted early last week. It was ratified by the Central Council and the Management Committee of the weekend, at the weekend. So all the plans were enforced. So no counties were consulted. And just to go back to one point there, Trisha, a couple of weeks ago, the Irish ladies' soccer team were playing a match somewhere else in Eastern Europe and it was abandoned because, to stop because of the flood. Yeah. It was, or the pitch was flooded. The, flesh, yeah. the, match was, yeah. the match had been shown live in RT2, but because the, the game was held up, they switched it on to GRT Go or something. The regular program continued, and we were then able to see out the match. I think Ireland won in the end, fair play to them. But the point I'm making is, and you made it there yourself, if we can't get this on the, on the RT channel, why not put it on to something else? The RT player or something like that, without charging people to pay for games that we've watched all our lives. Mm-hmm. I understand there's a commercial entity in this, but they're going to make enough money out of all those games without charging more. Okay, somebody says, can you get us an email address? We should contact GAA by email and we should... GAA.ie, we get them. GAA.ie. Someone else says, at this stage, I feel the GAA should be charged with ageism. They're the ones discriminating against older people. And actually, I have I have seen age action have already come out and they came out earlier on in the year as well, but they're already out saying that this is so wrong on older people. Okay, listen, we leave it there. Uh, Finbar, thank you for that and thanks, thanks for joining us. Good thank morning you. to you, Mark. Good afternoon to you. That is uh, Finbar McCarthy, one of our GAA correspondents. And Joe Heffernan joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And as people are preparing for Christmas and trees are going up and twinkling lights and all of that, there unfortunately will be a cohort of people who will absolutely be dreading uh, Christmas because somebody in the household will drink excessively and we know... When excessive drink happens, and if you're living with somebody who is an alcoholic, it can just ruin it for everybody else. So we want to focus today on problem drinkers. Yeah, 
And, um, you know, a person can be a problem drinker without necessarily being an alcoholic, but, I mean, they're probably well underway. Um, so what we were going to do today, Patricia, was that um, we had a couple of points that people uh, who think that they might um, benefit from hearing these points um, uh, might hear them. Because the last person to be aware that they have a serious uh, drinking problem um, is the problem drinker themselves. Um, they're in denial. So we, we'll point out maybe a few signs and symptoms of what problem drinking um, uh, consists of. Okay. All right. Well, the first one would be drinking alone. I mean, we... we we tend to see drinking in in a, in a social context uh, in in Ireland and um, and indeed most places, but um, drinking alone is not a good sign at all. Um, a, a step up from that, um, uh, a little bit uh, more um, pointing towards a problem would be drinking in secret. Um, you know. Just like it says, drinking in secret. Yeah, not, not wanting family members to know how much you're drinking or what time uh, of the day absolutely. you're drinking. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um, and then not being able to limit how much alcohol is consumed. Um, I would have heard many a person saying to me that um, once they start, um, uh, it usually doesn't stop um, where the plan was. So they can't just go out, oh, I'll just have two pints or two glasses of wine and come home. It's either yeah. all out or don't go out at all kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's about it now. It's either not or ten, um, uh, kind of. Um, uh, another, another clear sign of um, that alcohol is a problem is um, blacking out. That's not being able to remember uh, chunks of time, um, maybe the evening before, the night before. Um, that would be typical of problem drinking, serious problem drinking. Um, uh, they would be known as blackouts. Um, a lot of people think a blackout means that somebody fainted or um, collapsed. That. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, and it so doesn't it's not. Mean that. It's kind of like somebody waking up, going, "I don't even remember getting home and getting into bed." Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. Perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, Having kind of the ritualistic drink and being irritated um, or even annoyed uh, when when these rituals are disturbed um, or even commented on. This could be you no know, like uh, drinks before or during or after meals or after work. That I mean, that would be the person would consider themselves as being um, deprived um, if that didn't work out. Um, and another, somebody and somebody commenting on it. Why do you always have a drink after work? Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't like to yeah. hear that. Yeah. Okay. Criticism naming alcohol would be highly um, uh, disliked, to put it mildly. Okay. Yeah. Um, dropping hobbies and activities that the person used to enjoy, kind of like losing interest in a lot of things in life. Um, uh, would be not a good sign either of where a person is at in their life. Um, feeling an urge to drink, that at the slightest bit of irritation, anxiety, feeling a bit down, 
that the immediate um, solution seen by the person is have a drink. Um, feeling irritable, like we said earlier, when drinking times approach, um, uh, especially if it's going to be commented on or uh, maybe not available, that would be now the after work drink, the after dinner or the during dinner drink, etc. Um, I wonder I've come across quite a lot down through the years, having stashes of alcohol in unlikely places. Um, you know, hi- hiding hiding bottles of booze really mm-hmm. um, uh, would be a clear sign. Yeah, of- I, I remember talking to somebody who, who finally admitted to um, having a, a drink problem. And, and when I was chatting with her, I was saying, you know, how did it come? How did it come to her head? And uh, she said it was her husband started to find the. Uh, stashes of, I think it was vodka, um, and she used to have it hidden in, you know, the cupboard where you'd have the bleach and the washing up liquids and under the sink, right, uh, where you wouldn't be normally storing alcohol. And he started finding the bottles, and she said, you know, that was the first conversation. Then she had to admit, yeah, I'm secretly drinking when nobody is around. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, obviously, would mean that the person is at some level aware that their drinking is out of hand. Yeah, but I, 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 funny enough, and this is just, just off the point slightly, I also remember her saying she was glad because she said she never would have admitted herself that she had a yeah. problem, but it was only when her husband drew the attention. She said it, it actually came as a relief and she went on to get help and, and you know, got her life back on, on track. But she said there was mm. a sense of relief about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the first step in... in um, in recovery from um, abuse of drinking or alcoholism is um, admitting that there is a problem. Yeah. That's, that's number one. And that's the big one. That's the really, really big one. Um, another, another sign would be uh, getting drinks down in order to get drunk, feel better, feel good, that kind of thing. Um, many a time I would have heard a person saying, that when they went up to the counter in a bar, we'll say, to get a round of drinks for the company that they're in, that they would have a quick shot of whatever, whiskey, brandy, vodka, wow. at the bar. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that would be a fairly regular one. Okay. Um, having relationship problems that are triggered by drinking. In other words, if there are rows or, um, to put it very mildly, discussions in the home, uh, about a person's drinking, um, they obviously don't want to hear that. Um, but um, so the relationship uh, can uh, be uh, harmed uh, by that. Um, obviously, having problems with the law that's caused by drinking. One of the ones that would be the most um, well known to us all would be getting caught driving. Under the influence of alcohol. Yeah, and that kind of a devastating effect. Absolutely, absolutely. Having work problems uh, where where drinking is um, either the root cause or a contributing factor. Um, You know, uh, again, many a person would have uh, said to me and to others that um, Monday would not be a good day for attending at work. And when a person is um, fairly regularly missing on Monday, you know, one wouldn't have to be Sherlock Holmes to work out that it was the result of whatever went on at the weekend 
and that would often be um, a binge on alcohol. Um, another one would be having money problems caused by drinking. As we all know, um, uh, I, uh, the prices of drinks has um, gone through the roof like everything else. And um, you know that, uh, that if a person is spending um, uh, a relatively fair amount of their income um, on uh, alcohol, well then, uh, that's not going to help with money problems, and it's definitely, you would say, uh, going to exacerbate those um, v- very problems. Another one would be where a person is requiring a larger quantity of alcohol to feel its effect. That seems to be like climbing the left-hand side of an upward curve, um, uh, being able to, you know, you'd often hear the expression, the person could drink the others under the table. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, and, and that comes down the other side, down the slope, where um, a few drinks and the person shows the effect of, of those drinks. Okay. Um, and then you have the kind of typical um, withdrawal um, of, um, you know, a, feel, a person feeling that they need a drink even to the point of view of um, a bit of shakes um, when drink is not available, um, maybe feeling nauseous, um, th- that kind of thing, uh, uh, with the clear idea in the head of a drink would fix well, it. Will calm it, yeah. yeah. Okay, now there's a, there's a lot on that list, you know, there might be some or all of those, but if, mm. if people are kind of thinking, yeah, that could be me, you, you say... Your first port call, contact somebody in AA. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the national number for AA, in, in, uh, it's obviously a Dublin number I'm looking at, uh, 018420700. Okay, 018420700. Yeah, and you'll have it there. Um, and they'll and and obviously, if you get through to the Dublin number, they'll be able to put you through with local because there's AA meetings all over the place. Okay, without and, a yeah. doubt. And we will and before Christmas d- deal with you know that whole issue of family tensions. It isn't just alcohol; there can be family tensions uh, as well. And of course, anyone yeah. who's worried about somebody else's person's drinking, Alanon, another Dublin number eight seven three two six nine nine. Okay, yeah. uh, we'll leave it there. And, and there's a local Cork AA number zero eight five. Eight four seven zero eight eight zero. Okay, and as always, yes. we'll keep all those numbers on file. Listen, have a great week, Joe. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That is Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohopwee. His number is 086 Before I go to the listener who had the urinary bags and wants uh, to try and pass them on. Hi, Patricia. After the death of a loved one, I had dozens of packs of adult nappies, which the HSE wouldn't take back. I looked online and I found a group. I think it was called Human Aid or something like that. They help with healthcare abroad. They were delighted with them and even collect them from me. That's from Sheila. And hi Patricia, we had a similar situation for a different reason regarding urinary pads. Our local 
health nurse took the packets that were left, the unopened ones, and these are unopened boxes, picked them up, the same courier that brought them and the public health nurse organised it and they were reused. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to John Paul and Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.